That's Nick. That's Joseph. Oh, wait. I messed that up. I'm Joseph. You're... Yep. Who are you? I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. How are you? Oh, we're going going still? Might as well. Oh, my little brain. Okay. Hey. (laughs) How are you? (sighs) I'm good. How are you? Okay. Drag Race. Not going to talk about it, but I got to talk about it. Because in the most recent episode, Alexis Michelle was the winner. Oh, this trash. Trash. God. So she got to choose who to send home from the bottom two, which were Candy Muse and La La Ree. In the previous episode, La La Ree saved Alexis Michelle. And mm-hmm. Alexis Michelle promised, swore to God, that she would never forget this. And also, since episode one, has stated that she's basically in love with La La Ree. Yeah, big, big crush. And then sends her home. Sends her home, yep. Mm-hmm. That was garbage. She's been garbage. She was garbage to Darian Lake. Uh, she was garbage to Candy Muse. And it just all sounds about white. Jesus Christ. Speaking of garbage, Paramount Plus has that show, Queen of the Universe. Yeah, this is some garbage. And the like two days ago, we go to watch the most recent episode, and we see that all of the remaining episodes have been dumped online. And you thought it was a wonderful gift. And I was like, oh, this is strange. But then it makes sense because Paramount Plus has canceled Queen of the Universe, and it's going to be pulled from the platform like in the coming days. So they had to. So they just had to drop everything at once. What a dump. And part of that is that. Paramount is merging with, I think, Showtime. Uh-huh. So, you know, they're they're they they canceled like three other things, but Queen of the Universe is one of them. That's but that Grease Return of the Pink Lady shit. So we watched two episodes. Uh, and that this show is garbage too. <laughs> well, I didn't, I've never really liked it. The I, judging is just the judging is terrible. And then they let the audience vote, and it's just like I don't know why you let that trash vote, because then you it doesn't even matter. People probably don't even know. No one. I don't even think anyone's watching it clearly. But who ends up in the top three every is time, really disappointing. I know. Every time you, every time we pan out into the audience, there's a lot of like, oh, who are these people? Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on. We got a couple questions about what do we think about the submarine? <laughs> of course. And I feel like that's just people wanting me to say mean, nasty things. But I'm not going to. What submarine? We all live on the yellow one. Uh, I think the Ocean Gate submersible trying to go down to the, the Titanic. I I don't uh, wish uh, death on anyone. Uh, and there's something, of course, tragic about the scenario. But it's also like you know these people. Why are we? I don't understand why there's such intense focus on this. It's like it's like a missing white woman. Like like the the media attention when which should be afforded to much more important things. Like how many fucking immigrants have died on a boat coming from somewhere and well, it's like we're all mad about these rich assholes. Well, that I mean what what you're saying is it's easy to say that, but the reality right. is everyone's glued to their phone wanting updates. So that's why like everyone blames the media. Like, why is the media covering it? Because we all want to watch it. Well, if we were all interested in those seven hundred immigrants, the, the coverage would have been on that and not the right, ocean. Be, gate. Because the clicks and the site traffic would go towards that. It's much like how box office works with theater. You're you're voting when you go see a Marvel movie, and they keep making Marvel movies. So, and it is the butt of you know it. 
I posted a couple of things that I thought were funny related to it. It is kind of crazy. It makes no sense. It makes mm-hmm. for, you know, it's something exciting that everyone can sort of be up in arms about. So, but yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't want people to suffer. I, my skin crawls thinking of what that experience must have been like. Oh, yeah. How it's scared they were. I hope that the implosion is like what some outlets describe, like maybe it was violent and their death was instantaneous versus them being trapped in this metal can and slowly, and slowly dying. I mean, that is horrific. I don't think that's funny. Um, no, it's not for the funny people at all. who love these people. I'm sure they're going to be tormented by this forever. And, but, you know, some shit doesn't make sense. Going, taking a soda can down to the Titanic, swimming with sharks, jumping out of an airplane. A lot of shit does not make any Just sense. Just because to you me. can does not mean you should. I don't know. I, but I also think everyone, you, me, everyone does shit that's really questionable, really high risk. Like we've all done things that are like, I can't believe I did that. That could have ended so poorly. So I don't, I think it's like, it's really easy to criticize people, but everyone's done some really dumb shit. That being said, I don't know if I were rich, I would not be spending my money on things that could possibly kill my ass. (laughs) I would just want to luxuriate and uh, stun on people. So I don't know. Why? I, I would buy an island and then experiment on animals and make human cross hybrids. Oh, that somebody did that. But that's what I think. It's sad, but it's also stupid. And, you know, but I don't know. People's sense of adventure and maybe they're not afraid. Of, I mean, that's the other thing. We're presuming these people weren't afraid of the possibility of dying, in which case it's like, to me, that's like suicide. Like, I mean, it's not. I, I don't know what you were feeling. Like, I mean, I really haven't been following the media coverage of it, but I assume that if these people were uh, on a death, on a death wish suicide mission or weren't afraid of dying, somebody's relative would have said something to them. Well, the contract they signed mentions. Well, yeah, but we all sign contracts like that every time we do things, really. Yeah, but it's not like. I mean, this is not like when you sign for a house and you're just like, I don't know what I'm signing. I just spent an hour. No, I mean, it's very clear. Like I'm taking this experimental. There's a death clause, a death and injury clause, I'm sure. Well, and this is just what I gathered from my light research. But I mean, like on page one, they reference death three times. Like it's very clear. It's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's just like when you go skydiving and you sign the thing and it says very clearly that they're not liable for anything up to and including death. Like, yep. And I would not, I'm not going skydiving. And certainly a billionaire is smart enough to know that there's an assumed risk and that there'd be no recourse. I mean, what would the recourse be? Like I'm dead and what? So my family sues ocean gate for what, whatever I'm worth, they're already rich. Ocean gate's going to be able to pay it. So this person knew what they were doing, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's just, really scary and sad and you're not gonna catch my black ass on a submarine going anywhere Mm -hmm. unless it's in a pool well it's kind of like (laughs) it's like well it's like outer space like i'm not going up there unless uh it is the last option and i'm I'm still caring enough to live my life and earth is a trash bin yeah someone asked us would we rather do like outer space or submarine neither i don't like being difficult and not answering so it's like i'm not gonna say neither but (laughs) neither i'm not doing either of those things (laughs) Well, yeah, what's the necessity of this? I, I don't know. I, well, that doesn't make sense because you do a lot of things that are necessary. Well, that are necessary to my flora and fauna, but not 
Well, no. I mean, I don't. Life shouldn't be all about doing what's necessary. It's just like making comments. Like I just go to the store to buy what my body needs. That that doesn't make sense because you buy things that you want, and that's fine. You're allowed. Yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. Mental health, but right. The, so I mean, going I think... to outer space is not for my mental health. No, right. That's the answer to me. Is like if it doesn't feel good to you, and if you don't want to assume that risk, don't do it. I. I would believe that people who are like extreme adventurers, people who engage in extreme activities, they're not afraid of that. So I'm not going to be afraid for you. It just looks stupid to me, but you know, <laughs> moving on films released. We didn't cover desperate souls, dark city and the legend of midnight cowboy. Yeah. This is a, a documentary. I'd really would be interested. In. I said it with a question mark. Cause I couldn't believe that was one title. <laughs> Yes, that 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 is the title. Okay, uh, that is something I'd be interested in watching because I I like Midnight Cowboy and I haven't watched it in years. In fact, I think I was Midnight Cowboy one Halloween, many a moon ago. Oh, so this is a movie about that movie? It's a documentary about oh. the 1969 Best Picture winner Midnight Cowboy, where John Voight is the gigolo and uh, Dustin Hoffman is his little what's his name Ratface or something. <laughs> His little, his little creepy friend, uh, also starring Brenda Vaccaro, uh, and it was rated X at the time. Yeah. God is a bullet. Yeah, tell us about God is a bullet, Joseph. Well, you wrote a review for our website. Yeah, I did. So, is it up? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Since you want to have attitude and didn't check, <laughs> Joseph had no interest in watching. He's re he's rebelling, uh, but it's Nick. Cassidy. You didn't like it. I didn't love it. I there were things. Yeah, I was very middle of the road about it. And I think it's, always try to shame me about movies, and then it turns out you didn't care for them. <laughs> well, okay. I read your review. You did. What'd you think? I read all of them. Yeah, because you have to proofread them, right? Well, the the sense I got is that it's sort of ultra violent, but doesn't really have a lot of meaning behind. Yeah. Like to just to, and it, well, it's the story and doesn't justify the, the 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 grueling violence the audience has to endure, nor, nor the two and a half hour running time and the long running. Time. But I, you know, I was shocked to realize Nick Cassavetes, son of John, uh, brother of Zan and Zoe, hasn't directed a, a film since 2014. Uh, but he's got a bunch in the can. It looks like so. I don't know what happened. Past lives. This expands theatrically. I, I tried uh, to get you to convince you to go see it, but you, I guess, time and interest weren't there. But this is this is definitely one of the best releases of the year. Last, the last writer, a documentary from Alex Holmes, uh, who also directed a movie about or a documentary. I'm forgetting the title of it about Lance Armstrong at one point, I think. Uh, but this is about Greg LeMond uh, in the 1989 Tour de France. France. No. Revoir Paris, yeah. which is in France. Yes. Revoir Paris, which is uh, the latest film from Alice Vanacour, uh, which I saw at Cannes in 2022 out of the director's fortnight. Uh, Virginia Afira won a Caesar for it um, for 2022. And uh, it is about a woman who survives a public shooting in a restaurant and her memory is spotty about it. So she kind of tries to retrace her steps three months later. So it's kind of 
about that trauma and also co-stars Benoit Magimel. I'm usually a fan of Alice Vanacour. I didn't love this film, and I think Virginie Afira is a great actress. You had no interest in watching it, so I didn't even talk to you about it. Thank you. Projects of interest, Paddington in Peru. Well, you know what that is. The Bear? Yeah. You know, we keep talking about needing to watch Paddington. Well, I've seen Paddington too, and I recall liking it, and people, critics like Paddington too. Mm -hmm. You haven't seen it. I haven't seen neither of them. Uh, but Olivia Coleman and Antonio Banderas have joined the cast of this one. Well, I mean, I would definitely be interested, but that means you need to watch Paddington 2 at least. Well, yeah. you should probably watch all three. I should. I would. I am a completist. I will. Next, Gabriel Mascaro. Gabriel Mascaro. Uh, there little is known about it except that he is starting to lens his fourth feature in Brazil. Uh, highly recommend his 2015 sophomore effort, Neon Bull excellent film uh I, I did like his last one too divine love and i've seen august wins but i don't his debut i'm pretty sure i've watched that i don't remember it i probably need to rewatch it but yeah that's exciting he's doing a movie christoph honore christoph honore has a new film he's also working on without any apparently he's going to shoot in august in paris and there aren't any details that even cast um his last film was winter boy starring juliette binoche which was uh very gay more than i normally expect from him you know he uh one of his films has a large poster on the wall of our house which is ma mare yeah oh and with isabelle Huppert. with isabelle Huppert, which is nc17 which you've never seen that needs to be a secret. it's about incest yes yeah, based on a georges bataille an uncompleted novella that i've read uh and you have seen uh love songs not to my knowledge. Yes, you did. You watched it when I made you watch it when you were in uh, Minneapolis, where uh, Ludovine Sanier dies, and then her uh, boyfriend, Louis Garrel, ends up uh, in a relationship with a man in some musical. Oh, no. Kiara Mas oh, time to rewatch it. I love that movie. Oh. We. We. Or oi, depending on. Uh, Israeli director Nadav Lapid, who won Berlin with his last film, Synonyms, has uh, embarked on a new feature, apparently, uh, called We. Lastly, Bird. Uh, Andrea Arnold has a new project, which is, I mean, just the cast alone sounds exciting. Uh, you haven't seen Fish Tank or Red Road. She did a Wuthering Heights adaptation I actually quite like, too. Uh, or American, is American Honey? Shia LaBeouf, you haven't seen that. I don't think so. Okay. Anyway, she's an excellent director. Uh, Barry Cowgan, who you liked in Banshees of Sharon. That's true. He has, is joined by Franz Rogowski, who you also like for her new project. I do like Franz. Mm -hmm. Let's take a quick break. Movies we watched for fun. Marat Sade. <laughs> Saad, like Marquis de Saad. Oh, not like Helen Follet or Follet Chade adieu. <laughs> Helen Follet Chade. I can't even say it now. <laughs> say it again. I don't even know. It's something I, I'm saying it phonetically. Talk to us from about Beyonce. Yeah, talk to us about the, the actual the whole title is the persecution and assassination of Jean Paul Marat, as performed by the inmates of the Asylum of Charenton under the direction of the Marquis de Sade. So this is a very I hope 
the movie was good to justify that damn oh, title. It's it's creepy and weird. A very young Glenda Jackson. Okay. Uh, we had friends visit a year ago that had asked us to watch this, and we didn't get around to it. Darn. Uh, okay. Um, but it's directed by Peter Brooks. You know, Peter Brooks, I had to watch his version of Lord of the Flies, I think, in high school. And then I had to watch, I, I think it's his version of King Lear, for a class as an undergrad. Anyway, this is this is probably more famous than well, Lord of the Flies is pretty big. Um, it's a play within a play. It, it's based on a 1963 play by Peter Rice, uh, but it's set in 1808, where their Marquis de Sade, who's in the asylum, is directing these inmates uh, about this play about the assassination of Jean Paul Marat, set 15 years earlier. And then it's blurring a lot of weird, creepy lines between the actual uh, things that the inmates are suffering from, and then what the the, the play is all about. And then they're being watched through bars by the public. <laughs> it's very bizarre. Uh, and dare I say a little uncomfortable, um, but it stars that man from a clockwork orange and I'm forgetting his name. The one who, uh, his, his wife is raped and murdered by Malcolm McDowell, who ends up in Malcolm McDowell after his treatment ends up uh, back on his doorstep. And that man's torturing him with, uh, you know, the great ode to joy. Okay. Anyway, uh, very much worth a watch. The singer Sade, her name is Helen Fola Sade Adu. Oh, so yeah, I was close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, who Whose music uh, I didn't really get into uh, until she had an album in 2010 called Soldier of Love. And that was the first time I purchased any of her music. But of course I knew her, like Smooth Operator. Oh, yeah, Smooth Operator. Your I Love is King. Those were two songs I remember. Oh, yeah. and the name Patrick McGee is the man from uh, Marat Saad, Clockwork Orange. We watched the fourth installment, the fourth and final installment of the Substitute franchise called The Substitute Failure is Not an Option, starring Treat Williams, who the, recently passed. Yeah. Um, this time around uh he's trying to stop a group of neo-nazis at like a military boarding school <laughs> at the military academy uh it's directed from the third the, the guy that did the third substitute robert radler and so go ahead this is i found this more entertaining than substitute three that's what i was going to say so rank them i think uh, for enjoy for entertainment and enjoyment substitute two is my favorite yeah then substitute four the, yeah then the substitute yeah. the first one and then Substitute 3 is my least favorite. Yeah. But Treat Williams, I enjoy him on screen. You know, I really would love to watch his version from 1984 of Streetcar Named Desire, where he's opposite Anne Margaret and Beverly D'Angelo. Anyway. So, um, yeah, he his, like, the fight choreography um, is pretty good. He, uh, the, 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 Views that neo Nazis are talking about sound like the January sixth insurrection people, which is creepy. And Treat gets their ass together because oh, there's sure one is. in particular who's talking some crazy shit, like on Twitter. Because he's like, uh, this one kid, like the the first time Treat gathers him is when he's saying like the Holocaust is like blown out of proportion, mm -hmm. <laughs> and Treat gets his ass together. And then another time, I think he's talking about like Native Americans, maybe. Or no, he's talking shit and Treat is like, well, then why, like, if you think you can beat me up, why don't you go ahead and oh, try? Yeah. <laughs> and Treat whoops his ass. 
Um, I thought it was fun. Angie Everhart. Co-stars. Angie Everhart's in it. She looks nice. Oh, and then the 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 villain, the main villain. Uh huh. Who is creepy? I He's very name. good in that role. Who uh, is notable because when <gasps> yes, um, our Lord and Savior Governor oh, Gavin Newsom, Patrick Kilpatrick. When Gavin Newsom had to do that special election because he was about to get booted out, um, that actor who you just, Patrick Kilpatrick, Mm -hmm. he was one of like nine Democrats who ran against Governor Newsom. Mm -hmm. He only got like 2% of the votes or something, but, but you know, he didn't win. No, but good for him for trying. Maybe when Gavin becomes president, this old guy can take uh, his place. Oh Oh yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, and if you like skinhead-looking dudes, I mean, there are plenty of them in this movie. <laughs> I feel like it's a little... I don't know that we need to see them shirtless as much as we did. Uh-huh. I thought that was interesting. Are you saying this is like a Bruce LeBruce film? It's not at that level, but it did feel gratuitous. Hustler White? You ever see, <laughs> you, have you seen Bruce LeBruce? I know I was... I'm familiar with Bruce LeBruce. Otto or Up With Dead People, but yeah. like his like sexy movies. Uh, next, we watched Red Ribbon Blues. I don't know how we found this movie, but when we saw the cast and watched the trailer, we knew we had to watch it. I was like, I can't believe I don't know about this movie. So it stars... It's directed by Charles Winkler, first of all. It stars RuPaul. Yep. Uh, Debbie Mazar. Madonna's friend. Uh, the drag queen Charles... What's his name? Lipsinka. Lipsinka. Well, what's his real name? Uh, and, uh, and the lead is technically a man, an Australian, Paul Mercurio, who was in Baz Luhrmann's debut, Strictly Ballroom. Which were I've you familiar seen. with him? I've never seen Strictly Ballroom. Oh, um, the story is pretty um, interesting. I think it's worth the watch. So the the story after attending his twenty third funeral for a friend with AIDS, Troy and his friends hatch a plan to steal the HIV drugs that they need. One successful heist leads to another and another until they have so much inventory, they decide to begin their own community distribution program, which really is like them giving to the buyer's club. Right. Which people might be familiar with from the movie Dallas Dallas Buyers Buyers Club. Club. But but stealing from the rich and giving to the poor kind of mentality. Uh, But it's it's extremely fictional because there's this wonder drug that is helping people recently die that that are on they're early on their hiv journey like if you have full-blown aids it seems not to help people as much but it's this new magic medication i enjoyed it because it's kind of like robin hood but for aids patients and it has sort of a whimsical vibe to it Mm -hmm. the end i found really uh i think for anyone of a particular age who lived through that era the the ending is pretty sad because the so RuPaul's partner is Lipsinka. Is Lipsinka, and he's the one who's like dying of AIDS. Mm-hmm. They all have HIV, but he's like really bad. So we find out they run like one big like last heist, and the main guy gets caught. So he's in jail for a few years. And he's been narrating for us. He's been narrating. RuPaul and his partner. The partner, Lipsinka, is still alive, and they end up moving away. And then we find out that Debbie Mazar, she ran away too, so we don't know what happened to her. But the end of the movie is the main character saying, like, oh, and now there's this new drug they're saying is a cure. Mm-hmm. So I got it made me teary-eyed thinking that 
during that period, I remember feeling like one day there will be like, this won't be an issue. And so I guess in 2023, it's not, I mean, it's definitely not the issue it used to be. There is no cure for well, HIV, there's prophylaxis now. but just to think of all the people who died hoping right, for that something cure. would save their lives was really, it made me really emotional, but the film is not a downer. It, it has a fun vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely recommend what, what was the, the the line in the trailer about it something about the the negative side of being positive or no the <laughs> yeah the the yeah the the, the negative side of being positive <laughs> uh, i thought that was funny rupaul's fine in it actually i think debbie mazar is really good yeah um because she has this fruise of both 90s vibe i don't i i've always liked debbie mazar uh but I think this could have, I could see her being in a much more intense, a darker version of this film. We watched Can't Buy Me Love. In anticipation, uh, I wanted to watch it for No Hard Feelings with Jennifer Lawrence. I had seen it uh, like a couple of months ago because a friend said it's his favorite movie. Mm-hmm. It's a 1987 film starring Patrick Dempsey and uh, Amanda Peterson, who's now dead. The story, an outcast secretly pays the most popular girl in school $1,000 to pretend to be his girlfriend for a month. And then he becomes a monster. It's a very familiar. It's very familiar. Although the films I'm thinking of came after this. Mm-hmm. So to be fair to this movie. Um, I didn't love it. I, I thought, I don't care about anybody in it. And this- Well, they're not really not likable. Patrick Dempsey is fine, but he's not like... He looks captivating. Like Sean Penn. As and then man. Amanda Peterson is not likable to me. Either. Like I didn't like her character. There's no arc for her. Like she doesn't seem to really change or grow after this experience. Yeah, I didn't like. I didn't like anybody. I don't like the milieu that they are trying to inject themselves into. Like the- all of these high school students look like full ass adults. Well, they do. And it's just like God. <laughs> like, can we? I'm, I don't like high school movies. It's like there's so much more to life beyond that. I just burn it all down uh well no i mean some some high school movies i think are kind of fun this i mean now that i'm older i don't necessarily need to watch high school movies but i could maybe see like 20 year olds thinking this movie was fine back when it came out sure uh it's directed by steve rash whose previous work was the buddy holly story with you know i still haven't seen what gary Busey was oscar nominated for that and then later he would do a Polly shore classic called son-in-law you watched Persona? Yeah, um, I've been. I haven't watched this since the week Ingmar Bergman died, and it's one of his best films. And it's about uh, actress who's suddenly gone mute, played by Liv Ullman, and a uh, very emotive nurse, played by B.B. Anderson, and the the secret, the the small little island cabin they go off into, and then their personas tend to collide and coagulate in interesting, strange ways. And what a beautifully shot movie and you know bb anderson's really doing all the hard lifting but it's it's strange and creepy and breathtaking and you know set the stage for a lot of other films but uh it was in my mind it holds such uh, a place that re-watching it i'm like it's hard to believe it's only an hour and 23 minutes oh yeah that kind of movie we watched Deja Vu, the 2006 film directed by Tony Scott. I had no interest in watching this, and I don't know why we put it on. I don't know either, and I ironically had no Deja Vu when I watched I've seen it before. Yeah, and then <laughs> unbelievably, you had seen it not too long ago. Yeah, Like six years ago. <laughs> and I don't know how you forgot. 
the story after a ferry is bombed in new orleans an atf agent joins a unique investigation using experimental surveillance technology to find the bomber but soon finds himself becoming obsessed with one of the victims the story did not i think the story is very interesting mm -hmm. because you think initially it's about like government surveillance going too far kind of like tony scott's previous film enemy of the state but, but then we find out this shit is about time travel uh, yeah it is and it was pr i mean it kept my attention it did and there are people i like and like erica alexander's in the sidelines but you know paula Patton is this woman who gets murdered by jesus jim caviezel's uh nefarious terrorist plot and denzel is obsessed with saving her first of all jim caviezel to me was kind of a piss poor villain yeah very generic like i'm a terrorist but i don't belong to any terrorist organization and i'm just rambling crazy shit mm -hmm. i thought that was poorly written paula Patton doesn't have anything to do i was most bothered by denzel washington's character has this inappropriate fixation with paula Patton. like he is a federal agent and then you fall in love with this beautiful woman who you see like in the morgue like on uh -huh. the table and I just, that felt so creepy to me. Uh -huh. And uh, then, it, it, you know what? It, it's not unlike his character arc in the little things as well, where he's the sheriff from that other county that's obsessed like, with. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, it made me uncomfortable. And then Denzel Washington, I'm, I've never been a huge Denzel Washington fan, like how people pee over him. I think he's like the same in every movie I see him in. He is the same quite a bit. I do like him as a screen presence, but, and I certainly prefer him over his son, but, uh, yeah, he does some ticks. He has some ticks that he likes to do. I think he doesn't, I don't know how to say this. Uh, he, I don't think he has a lot of range. I feel like he's the same. In It doesn't matter what era and time he's, he's his character's in. It doesn't matter what position in life his character's well, in. Well, I think that's why Training Day was such a surprise. Because he's he's nefarious. I do like really. Training Day yeah. and he does, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think, I think had that character been written differently and maybe played by someone else and we focus more on the technology this could have been a really cool sci-fi movie tony scott did several films with denzel including man on fire which i haven't seen and unstoppable his last film before he committed suicide um yeah so he liked denzel you watched Ret the return of the soldier oh yes i'm gonna uh and i actually Okay, so I'm still going through Glenda Jackson films and she died that I hadn't watched. And this is one I've been wanting to watch, but I also have the novella by Rebecca West. Uh, so I, I read that. It's only 90 pages and then watched that film this week from 1982, competed in Cannes, directed by Alan Bridges. Uh, oh my God, what a great cast. Alan Bates is the, the soldier, but it's, a, it's about a world war. It was written in 1916 and it's about this man's fate decided by three women in his life. And they are played by Glenda Jackson, Julie Christie, and Anne Margaret. Oh, And I love the cast, love this film. Uh, yeah, just an excellent little gem no one talks about. Well, you're talking about it. Mm. Lastly, duet for one. Uh, and then another uh, <laughs> a woman who's going to come up later in this conversation. Uh, it's a Konchalovsky film, who's uh, one of my favorite Russian directors. I, I think 
in 2017, his film Paradise, I listed as my favorite film of that year. It's a Holocaust film. It's very depressing. Uh, he had a really interesting phase in the 80s. You know, I, I know you were in the room when I watched Homer and Eddie with Whoopi Goldberg and James Belushi years ago. Okay. Uh, had a really, and, oh, Tango and Cash. He had a, a, a Hollywood period in the 80s, and he directed a lot of, especially, I think, women into very fine performances, including Jill Clayburg and Barbara Hershey in Shy People. Uh, but I've never seen this. Kino Lorber just put it on Blu-ray, so I'm going to review it. But we got another Alan Bates reference in here who I like a lot. Uh, Julie Christie is a violinist, uh, world famous, Who Julie Christie, uh, Julie Andrews and is suffering from multiple sclerosis and is contending with that as her life is, you know, uh, ebbing away from her. Uh, Alan Bates is the, her floundering husband who's sleeping with Rex Harrison's daughter, who I'm, I didn't realize is dead now. Uh, and her psychotherapist is played by Max von Sydow. And she carries on a torrid affair with a totter, which I guess is a, a, a trash man played oh. by Liam Neeson. Who looked very good. Yeah, it's 1986. Uh, Julie Andrews was Golden Globe nominated for that. Unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary. Well, there is one entry in the obituary section. Do you know, Fred who, do you know who he is? Frederick Forrest? No. Yeah. Oh, okay. So he was a, a, a favorite of Francis Ford Coppola's. He has a bit part in The Conversation, which we reviewed with Gene Hackman. He, I, I believe he's the man that gets murdered. You know, that couple that they're walking around uh, listening to you talking and trying to piece together what they're talking about. Gene Hackman. From which movie? The Conversation. No. It's about surveillance and American paranoia. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And he's the one who... What's your name from Laverne and Shirley is the, the woman and... Is he the guy whose wife he thinks is cheating, but actually yes. he's... Or no, he... She think We think he he's cheating on her, but she's cheating on him. She's plotting his murder, yeah. That's... That's Frederick, Frederick Forrest. Forrest yeah. Okay. Uh, but in growing up, I was well aware of him because he played a villain named Blue Duck in Lonesome Dove, which my dad loved, loved, loved. Uh, so that man was referenced a lot. But yeah, Coppola liked him quite a bit. Uh, he was only, he's in Apocalypse Now, for instance, which, you know, I've been really craving a rewatch of. It's been years and years and years. Um, he was Oscar nominated only once opposite Bette Midler in The Rose which I've also never seen, oh. uh, but have on Criterion. And I think it's worth noting that he starred opposite Anne-Margaret in a television film called Who Will Love My Children? Because it won't be me. <laughs> Sorry. Which was an Emmy award-winning film for a director named uh, John Ehrman, who has a relationship to the film you chose as our secret film. Oh, Okay. Well, let's take a quick break. Today's secret film was my choice, and I chose the 1991 American made-for-television film Our Sons, which stars Julie Andrews and Anne Margaret. And Hugh Grant. Hugh, Hugh Grant is in it as well. And not to be confused with the recently premiered Our Son, starring Billy Porter and Luke Evans. Oh. Why did I choose this film? Because we were watching, I think it was after Red we Ribbon. finished Red Ribbon Blues, and then, of course, Amazon's recommending all this gay shit. So we're flipping through. And and I was like, wait, read what this is about. You were like, stop the track. And then <laughs> we read what it's about. And then we watched the trailer. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I know what my secret film is. <laughs> well, and it's also Pride Month. 
It is, but I love both these ladies. Uh, so the story, Donald is a young man dying of AIDS. His lover, James, asks his mother to go to Fayetteville, Arkansas and tell Donald's mother, who has been estranged from her son for years. So Hugh Grant plays James and his partner, Donald, is dying of AIDS. And he hasn't seen his mother in 11 years. She kicked him out of the house when he was 17 because he's a queer. A dirty, filthy queer. So Hugh Grant asks his mom, Anne Margaret, who he has a good relationship with. Good enough. If she can go talk to Donald's mother. So James and Donald are the perfect little white gay couple. They have money. They have this fabulous life. Uh, The one who's dying is like an architect and owns like a, a cinema Yep. They have a beautiful life, and Julie Andrews is rich. Like, she lives in this amazing, like, modern mansion mm-hmm. that Donald designed. So, Hugh asks Julie, could you go talk to Anne Margaret and convince her to come back because her son's dying? And Julie agrees because she... She seems she seems like a reasonable lady and she does feel like it's the right thing to do. I also get that there's a tinge of guilt because she realizes that even though she accepts her son, she cuz there's a point where she says like if my son were with a woman, I know everything about her. I would know everything about her. I'd be super involved in their life, but because he's a homosexual, I have sort of she uses the fr- like like tip like tiptoe around everything. She's detached. Yeah. So Julie Andrews flies to Arkansas and goes to visit Anne Margaret, who is made out to be kind of like a trailer park lady. Like she actually lives in she a trailer park. She lives in a trailer park. park, works as a waitress. She works as a waitress. Insists on wearing this lawn wig. We can talk about yeah. it. Yeah. So she goes. It doesn't go well at first, but Anne Margaret decides that she'll do it. But she's not going to fly. There, there's a plot point because they try to make it a road trip movie so these two women yeah. can spend time together. And the way they do that is kind of stupid, which we can talk about. But they drive from Arkansas to San Diego. And Anne Margaret stays at Julie Andrews' house. They have a conversation. Like, they kind of have a heated conversation. And Anne Margaret decides to leave. She goes back to the airport, checks her luggage in. And then all of a sudden we see her take a cab back to Julie Andrews' house. And she says, I changed my mind. I do want to see my son. She goes, the visit is kind of, it's okay. Well, after 11 years and he he looks raggedy. We need to talk about that. Uh, and a, an important plot point is after their first visit, Hugh Grant asks his partner, like, hey, how did it go? And he's like, well, I mean, as expected, she wouldn't even touch me. So, of course, Donald's condition gets to the point where he's sent home to die. He asked to go home. Or he asks, and Anne Margaret stays with him. And the final time we see her talking to him while he's dying in bed, she touches his hand mm-hmm. and sort of ad- admits that she regrets all the time that was wasted because she wouldn't accept him. And also saying that she knew right after he was born that he was gay. So, a pretty emotional moment. And then she touches his hand. And then the next thing we see is his casket. So presumably he was holding out to hear that from his mother. And to be touched, yeah. And then Anne Margaret earlier in the film had asked, when he dies, can I take his body back home? So we don't see it, but we're told there's a funeral, like a a huge funeral in San Diego because 
again, rich white gays had a mm -hmm. bunch of friends and resources to have this huge thing. And uh, so then Anne Margaret takes the body home to have her own little small service. The end. Mm -hmm. Uh, first off, I cannot believe I had never heard of this movie. Same, but I mean, it was kind of buried in the sands of time because it wasn't exactly well received. Well, the other thing is when I was in college in the nineties, the kind of films that were at like Hollywood, like in the gay section, like you didn't find TV movies there. No. So now that streaming is a thing, we have the, you know, the luxury of having access to all these made for TV movies. Yeah. So it makes sense to me why I hadn't heard of it, but the reason I'm surprised is because I think Anne Margaret and Julie Andrews give very strong performances. They they definitely do. And Anne Margaret to the point that I don't know how she didn't get like an Emmy or a Golden Globe or something for this. You, you know, John Ehrman, like working with her, he's, you know, the, the one who won his Emmy for uh, Who Will Love My Children she was in. She was in Queen opposite Halle Berry, which he directed. And I think she was Emmy nominated for that. Uh, the two Mrs. Grenvilles, that was a big one. Um, so yeah, clearly they had a good, pretty good working relationship. But yeah, I think Anne Margaret is, she has the more difficult role as the woman that we're primed to hate. And I think she does a really good job of showing this woman's frame of mind. It's not unlike, you know, to me, someone like Sigourney Weaver in Prayers for Bobby. I mean, it's a familiar sure dynamic yeah. and character type i'm just going to go through my notes so the character of donald the one who's dying of aids is played by zelko zelko ivanek you do, do you know who that is yeah oh he's in a ton of stuff you don't remember in hannibal cordell gary oldman's crippled oh that's him cordell he doesn't have a lot to do except be dead to the bed but they make him look so damn bad and i and it like uh, like he has a. Uh, Carposi yeah. sarcoma. So he he looks appropriate. The reason he looks so bad is they let him have that like stringy, patchy ass hair. It's the hair. And if I were his lover, I would have buzzed that shit right off. Mm -hmm. Like you're not gonna be laying in this bed looking like the crib keeper. But it was kind of jarring. Like they didn't have to let him lay there like that. Yeah, and it looks like they were trying to put foundation over the lesions, which makes it look worse. He, I, I'm not making fun of no. how he looked. I know many people, you know, the, the, the ravages of this uh, disease state, I'm not making fun of. It's really his hair and the fact that, because Hugh Grant has a beautiful head of hair in the movie. Yes, he does. And is also a homosexual. So I can't believe that he let his man lay that, because it, it wouldn't have been me. No. you know. He, Luckily, he, you can't grow hair like that, so we don't have to worry about you dead to the bed. But oh, don't let boy. me lay in the bed looking like Don <laughs> King. I will. <laughs> Please. Cut my shit off, please. You'd be asking me to suffocate you with the pillow and check. Oh, please kill me. Uh, please. Kill I can't even visit Joseph. I don't want to. I don't want to be tempted today. Hey, uh, you, you over there? Please kill me. Uh, that very baby blood of you. Uh, hey, see that guy over there? Kill, kill him, him, please. please. Uh, uh, can we talk about Hugh Grant played homosexual several times, though? You know, well, you in, know. in Morris, nineteen eighty-seven, which I highly recommend, and in a very British scandal with Ben Wishaw. Oh, and in his scandal with uh, the prostitute Divine Brown. Well, that's back in that was a personal matter. That was an astonishing receiving movie. oral sex in a public place right up the street from where we live. <laughs> that's a, oh yeah, it was on Sunset. Mm. Uh, so I found it interesting. Hughes' American accent is quite good. Yeah, I agree. In this movie, but his mother is Julie Andrews, who has a British accent in the movie. So I think it's funny that they make a point 
to say that he was born here and that's why he doesn't have a British accent. It seemed kind of unnecessary to me. I think they wanted, but I want. I think they wanted the the gay lovers to to be American. I, I think they didn't. I, I think that this is a message movie, and I think they they didn't want any question about like this is affecting Americans. Maybe I don't know. It, but th- what that makes sense because they got Julie Andrews. Then we have to explain. It seems like that was a point someone wanted to make. I'm guessing. Well, I think casting Julie Andrews made sense, and Anne Margaret, because it's like, well, this story might be more. It, it might reach more audiences who might not be open to a story like this like not unlike Sigourney Weaver and Prayers for Bobby. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad they were able to get those two. I just think it's interesting. And I was impressed by Hugh's accent. So when we first see Anne Margaret, she is wearing this like platinum blonde wig. And it looks like <laughs> she looks like a dandelion head. That, that's gonna be- <laughs> Yeah, she has this round cut that looks like a big ass helmet. And the minute she so we see her at home. And then she she gets a call from Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. He's kind of testing to make sure that's where she lives and yeah. that's who she is before he sends his mom out there. And th- so she's kind of annoyed, like at this crank call, because he kind of doesn't say anything. And then as soon as she gets off the call, this lady hops into the bed and yanks her wig off so fast. <laughs> and what's crazy is that her hair underneath is quite dark mm-hmm. and it looks so much better. It looks so but much But they make better. her look garish. And I'm assuming that's because of the character yeah luann barnes yeah they're trying to make her seem like she has no class when hugh asks julie andrews would you go to arkansas or like fayetteville or whatever this lady goes you know i don't even know what arkansas is (laughs) i thought that was funny um there's a pretty again i feel like the weakest part of the movie well the weakest part of the movie to me is the cinematography. It's atrocious. Yeah. The lighting is jarring, right? Uh, I mean, sure. there are moments when it takes you out. It's like, whoa, <laughs> they are blown the hell out. They certainly are. But yes. The, but the so I would still say this movie is good, except for the cinematography. And Cause there's a there's a scene where because Hugh Grant is a pianist. Yeah. And uh, oh, and Tony Roberts is kind of this man that is likes julie andrews who is a executive in some is she in, it's court it's kind of like her confidant like f buddy kind of her f buddy he seems to, yeah uh because she wants him to be a friend and he's kind of not open to that he's he like, just wants them draws and- yeah <laughs> which julie still looks good she does look good. but he uh they're, they're in this dark audience the, the the this audience and then there's julie andrews uh, we observe her watching hugh grant but fully lit like there's a light bulb right in front of her oh, face. oh god <laughs> but the second weakest thing to me is hugh grant's character the way he's written he talks like in limericks and euphemisms everything out of his mouth sounds like a quote and it just felt so inauthentic and it didn't do a if the job was for me as the audience to sympathize with these characters they made hugh really stuffy and kind of annoying because if you're like a you know like a midwestern mother who maybe like sort of probably would align more with Anne margaret's character i feel like watching hugh grant you'd probably not like him and wouldn't the goal be to make him likable sure but it's believable that he's cagey and uh, you know kind of navigating this relationship with his mother where he realizes that she's disappointed in him but maybe he still depends on her even though he says he doesn't ask for favor that's you know the first time he confronts her it it 
I read some like critiques of the film and people saying that it insults our intelligence and that blah, blah, blah. I don't agree. I, I, I think that the way he was confronting his mom feels very authentic. Like I like, I love that you referenced the, the review you're referencing is from entertainment weekly or was it people, either of those publications, both of them, both of them are insulting to our intelligence overall. So I don't understand why I, again, this is also why it's important. Who's critiquing these films and, and clearly not, understanding how meaningful this is intended for to be a community but uh but what do i know yeah i feel like julie andrews was like i need some soft lighting mm -hmm. do not play with me like <laughs> oh but are you gonna reference the scene in the trailer oh yeah um I, I, i'm getting to it oh uh so julie andrews has an assistant who's pregnant and i thought she was so cute because she's wearing suit. like I, I don't know what store was popular in the 90s for like women's business wear, but it's like Liz Claiborne. But, but, but like if Liz Claiborne had a maternity line, because <laughs> she had these really unflattering like skirt sets mm -hmm. that <laughs> buttoned down the middle. And, it was very Nora Dunn. Oh, she yeah. looked like a house, but her she had that like high pitched like, you're going to go to Arkansas. What's in Arkansas? Yeah. <laughs> I thought she was really cute. Um, so and Margaret lives in the shady mobile park. And so of course she, the closest airport is like a four mile drive. Little Rock. Mm -hmm. It's Little Rock, but she lives in like Fayetteville. Mm -hmm. So of course, Julie Andrews is staying in like the nicest hotel in Little Rock. And she has a chauffeur fur pick her up to take her to Anne Margaret. And when they arrive to shady mobile park, Julie Andrews is like, what the fuck is this? Where's this? He's like, oh, She's like, I'm looking for number 16. I thought it was a condo. He's yeah, like, it, it says she's in unit 16. This is not a condominium. And it's like, no, bitch, this is the trailer park. He's like, these are homets. Yeah, he calls them homets. And she goes, homets. Homets. <laughs> she, was, she was really acting like poverty is a disease uh -huh. that I do not want to catch. But so they're in this limo in this trailer park. And meanwhile, they're, attract, they're attracting an audience kind of like, minds attacked well <laughs> because he pulls up to the front Sorry, of the magnets he he pulls up to the front of the shady mobile park like okay bitch we'll get out and go find your home girl and julie's like no you need to like drive me up to the <laughs> which causes problems because like you said all these country ass people are like following her like the beatles are in that car <laughs> and then of course Anne margaret is like what the fuck do you want the, the, he asked for directions from this black man. He's like, you got Ray Charles in there? And the driver's like, don't you wish? Don't you wish? <laughs> like, damn. So when Anne, so when Julie confronts Anne Margaret, of course she's confused. And Julie keeps saying, can I just come in? Can I, like, I, like I can't be out here breathing this poor people air. So she goes into Anne Margaret's house and <laughs> she's looking around like, I need to sit down. Where do I, <laughs> like, she's confused. Like, where would I even sit down? And of course, why are you here? Well, I'm here about your son. And the first thing out of Anne Margaret's mouth is what son? So of course, you know, it's going to be a problem. And then they're talking. Julie Andrews is tiptoeing around, beating around the bush about her son being homosexual. And, or being a friend. Because she keeps saying like, well, my son is a very good friend of your son. Very and Anne Margaret's like, very close. Like, I know what that means. He's one of them. And Margaret keeps saying like, one of them, one of them, a queer. Google gobble. A queer. And Julie Andrews doesn't like that word. And and Margaret's saying like, basically like, he's dead to her. And Julie tells Anne Margaret he's gonna die you stupid bitch and she then, grabs her by she, the shoulders and shouts in her face 
But she leaves her number and like storms out. So of course, Anne Margaret has a change of heart and calls her. Um, another big plot point is Hugh Grant does not want to be tested for HIV. Yeah. And it's really frustrating, but I think understandable. So I, I think the film does a good job of sort of. Well, you know, Poe's touched on that a lot too, is there were a lot of people that didn't want to know. But then balancing that with the people who care about you, because Julie Andrews says, I want to know. So I know how much time we have left to sort of like to start over to start over. So we, we never find out if he gets tested, but there is a lot of a lot of talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, so when Anne decides to leave, Julie's like, OK, well, our flight leaves tomorrow, um, but we have to leave. Julie m mistakenly tells this woman because she doesn't know she has a fear of planes that we have a connecting flight from Fayetteville to Little Rock. She has a fear of small planes. And then Anne tells this long story about how she was in a plane crash in like a propeller plane. And, and broke her leg. And broke her leg, but three people died, so she's not getting on a propeller plane. So it's this big stupid story to justify why they end up taking a four-hour drive to Little Rock. And then there could be a game counting the number of cigarettes and Margaret's character smokes. Mm -hmm. Every scene she's smoking or lighting up a cigarette yep. or putting a cigarette out. So Julie is like, okay, well, we'll drive to Little Rock. Well, so, and it's important to note that Julie's an ex-smoker. It's The cigarettes are uh, supposed to be a symbol symbolic of, of, of class uh, value, I, th I think. Well, I also took it as sort of like her, like, like, redefining um not a habit because that's very literal but sort of like she was able to adjust overcome her, overcome some view or need mm -hmm. so I, I also took it as that but anyway they go to get in Anne margaret's car and julie looks at that car like is there air conditioning i wouldn't put my bags in here let alone my ass and she's like is there air conditioning and Margaret and Mar goes yeah you roll the windows down so the next thing we see is Anne margaret has rented a lincoln town car because she's like i'm not fucking driving in this shit and Anne gets in that rental car and what's the first thing she does she lights a cigarette light a goddamn cigarette <laughs> is this she goes is this gonna be a problem <laughs> yes oh you didn't see scorsese's the irishman these two old Italians going on a, a road trip with their wives and the wives are so upset. And, and I, is it Joe Pesci won't let them smoke in the car and they have to keep stopping. <laughs> these women want to smoke. Oh, speaking of stopping, they're driving. So we, they're in this car for two minutes, mm -hmm. not even two minutes. And Ag Margaret's like, I need to make an urgent pit stop. And Julie's like, okay. And then we see them stop and Anne Margaret runs into this restaurant. This diner. Yeah. To just sit down and order some food. And they do that twice. They do. We see them eating like four times. Uh -huh. It's kind of a lot. But it's trying to establish, give them time to talk. But it's like, what does she need to stop at this restaurant so urgently for? She scoots right in there. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Donald doesn't know that Hugh is arranging for his mother to come. So when he finds out, he's mad. Mm-hmm. And then when he talks about his mom and Margaret's character's name is Luann. What is Julie Andrews character name? Audrey. When. Right. Uh, yes. When Donald finds out, he goes, oh, um, 
last chance Luann grab it while you can and make it quick <laughs> like that's his saying for his mom <laughs> well the, his character shtick is obviously doing his quoting movie lines yes mm -hmm. yeah so when so originally Julie had rented a hotel for Anne Margaret to stay in but then after their road trip and they've come become a little closer and after because I think Julie Andrews thought it might be important for Anne to see the house her son designed. And she, so then the first night that Anne stays at Julie's house, they have a pretty heated conversation that I thought was actually the best scene in the film because I thought it really gave an honest perspective of how probably a lot of parents feel about their gay children, like just being honest. Mm -hmm. Like if, if a lot of like supportive gay parents were honest about how they really felt, I feel like it would sound like this. Like, yeah, yeah. initially I was not happy. Who wants a gay son? Mm -hmm. Like, I want them to be normal. I want grandkids. I was afraid. I didn't, I don't want them to have AIDS. And, you know, Ju the good thing about Anne Margaret's character and Julie Andrews character admits this. She's like, you know, she's smarter than I am. She doesn't know it, but she doesn't know it. So that's, what's annoying about her. But as the audience, I felt like, yeah, Anne Margaret's character drops a lot of knowledge mm -hmm. and seems very pensive like she takes time to think about what she's saying i really like that about her character um but she is kind of wordy and repetitive because even the night she decides to leave before she goes to visit like when she has cold feet she leaves and julie andrews because she's such a busy ex executive business lady she has a voice recorder to take notes mm -hmm. and Anne margaret leaves this long ass message about how she can't stay it was very repetitive yeah but that would to me when you're not planning you know then when the things don't come out polished I when think. ann gets to donald's hotel or his hospital room she asks can i smoke it here like damn and then a nurse comes in it's like is somebody smoking in here and donald's like well whose health is it gonna ruin like i'm already dead and the nurse is just like uh julia has a really good line because she gets frustrated with ann continuously saying like one of them one of them and Julie says, they're not one of them. Our sons are two of us. Mm -hmm. So related to the title of the movie. I thought that was a good moment. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a moment that seemed very random where she's talking about like all in the movies, I see people with these beautiful homes and these lavish like swimming pools and they never use them. I want to use them. And her son goes, well, take the plunge, take the plunge. So then we cut to Anne Margaret goes skinny dipping. I think that's supposed to be a metaphor for her finally treading where she's feared to tread. Absolutely. But when <laughs> she takes off her wig, I was like, God, please take that wig. off. And when she jumps into that water, it looks like someone took a cadaver and just threw it into she, a body of water. She, <laughs> she belly flopped into that shit. Um, the ending feels really abrupt. Yeah. Because it's just like, and admitting to her son that she wasted time you know and, but she, she, and and then he dies and then that's it it's just done but she relates a memory you know of of when he was born because he was born in the house like she fell down the stairs or something and i think was incapacitated and he just came out i think was that the story she was telling when he was born yeah about how she fell down the stairs oh but she told the story about how no one knew but she knew when he was conceived that he and was, she talks about how it was such a beautiful feeling she, that she has a really nice line there because she says it was a beautiful morning with no tomorrow in it mm -hmm. yeah um that's all i have we're, we're running out of time but i think 
This is a really beautiful movie. I would recommend it. We it, it's free on freebie with yeah. ads, mm-hmm. which the ads are quite abrupt. <laughs> and God, these goddamn freebie ad, freebie ads are so. Uh, it's like, oh, there's some bitch making a Paloma. Yeah, they're so <laughs> jarring. But uh, anyway, uh, I would highly recommend this. This would be a great double feature with a 1997 made-for-television film called In the Gloaming. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. Uh, did you? Christopher Reeve directed that. Oh. Fantastic cast. Glenn Close is the mother, David Strathairn, and the dad. Their son, Robert Sean Letter, is dying of AIDS and comes back home to die. Whoopi's in it. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Whoopi's the nurse. Um, I think Bridget Fonda is the sister. Um I'm forgetting somebody else that anyway yeah that oh i think christopher reeve's brother or son is in it oh playing the young kid yeah yeah young yeah interesting yeah i could i haven't watched that since then but uh, i could <laughs> what uh, would no, you give our sons i would give our sons three i think if you'd like Anne margaret who i think was always a bit underrated as an actor uh and julie andrews uh, this is kind of must see if those people are up your alley i would give it three out of five i thought it was good Okay. Uh, are you reading anything you want oh, to tell us oh, about? Oh, oh. Uh, I, Rebecca, I read three terrible books in a row, uh, including The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart. But uh, I this novella by Rebecca West, who is an author I, am, I, am, I know about but haven't read. Uh, I've had a copy of her uh, nonfiction work, Black Lamb and Gray Falcon, A Journey Through Yugoslavia, which is <laughs> what? from 1941 which is huge uh but i've been wanting to read that for a long time uh but it it just it's such an undertaking but uh if you're a fan of turn of the century british literature uh this is just excellent i I loved it but i wanted to read you this brief passage please it's about the julie christie character uh beautiful women of her type lose in this matter of admiration alone their otherwise tremendous sense of class distinction they are obscurely aware that it is their civilizing mission to flash the jewel of their beauty before all men so that they shall desire it and work to get the wealth to buy it and thus be seduced by a present appetite to a tilling of the earth that serves the future there is you know really room for all of us we each have our own peculiar use Mm. it's it's shady and bitchy well this week uh we have indiana jones dropping tomorrow um we have a bunch of movies we've already watched and recorded stuff for but they're not dropping until i think the week after like the first week of july mm-hmm. um, but um but i know we're seeing something this week uh mission impossible oh that's right is this week uh i think i'm seeing that karen that Karen, it's not Karen Gillan. Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. I don't think you're going with me. No. Um, and you're refusing to watch a Kate Beckinsale film. I think that'll cover for our website. Good. Uh, and then I, I was trying to convince you to watch that intersex documentary, uh, Everybody. You want to watch that? You don't think that's interesting? Oh, we, I need to watch the Wham documentary. The Wham documentary, yeah. Um, so we might not. I mean, the a- intersex documentary does sound interesting. Um. Yeah, so in other words, we might not have a lot of coverage this week. That's okay. I need a break. Okay. Uh, Ta-ta for now.